here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Hello, folks. This is your captain speaking, Sean Zock, to be joined by Dylan Chair in just a few minutes. Right now, I'm just teeing up this episode, what we've got for you. Midweek, it's an interview with Jamie Weir from Sky Sports. Jamie's based over in England. He's from Northern Ireland. He has been covering Live, the DP World Tour, how it interacts with the PGA Tour. He's been on the chase of all this stuff for a very, very long time. And he's there at Wentworth this week for the BMW PGA Championship. It's the, the biggest event, essentially, of the year on the DP World Tour. And Jamie's been talking to players because this is a spicy week. We've got Shane Lowry popping off about Lee Westwood and Ian Poulter and Sergio Garcia. We've got John Rahm kind of trying to figure out how he feels about it all. We've got Billy Horschel and Rory McIlroy and tales of the players only meeting on Tuesday night. Jamie has really been tapped into all of it. So I figured who better to talk to this week than Jamie Weir. So before Jamie comes on, I want to tell you about Radmore Golf. Folks, I know we have talked about Radmore Golf a lot on this podcast. And if you've been waiting to make a purchase, I don't know, the seasons are changing. This discount code will not be around forever. It is time to make that purchase. Go to radmoregolf.com. That's R-A-D-M-O-R-G-O-L-F.com. Right now, I've been looking at these green corduroys. They're already discounted. Your 25% discount code works on top of them. So you're going to really get these pants for very cheap. I'm not even sure if Radmore wants me to tell you about all that. But anyways, 25% off with code DROPZONE. That's D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E at radmoregolf.com. Go buy yourself some green cords. Go buy yourself some drop zone gear, and uh, you'll make us happy in the process by being a real one, by being a real supporter of us, by supporting the people who support us. So someone who I want to support is Jamie Weir. He's one of my favorite people on golf Twitter and one of my favorite golf reporters that I met over there this summer uh, in my summer in Scotland. So here is Jamie Weir. Folks, if you watch any of the player interviews before tournaments on Sky Sports, and you fall in love with that Northern Irish accent. Well, we've brought him to your earbuds right now. He's Jamie Weir. Jamie, hopefully you're doing well. I deeply miss seeing you in person now that I have to call you through Zoom. What an introduction. I I better make sure my accent sounds super sexy now for this podcast. Um, Miss you too, buddy. Miss taking the make out of Everton with you. Uh, Miss miss chatting Packers with you. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, it's good to see you're back home now and getting a second summer. Yes, yes. It's actually gorgeous here right now. We're, I guess, six time zones away from you. Dylan is eight time zones away from you, so we got him up at 7 a.m. Pacific time. Wow. <laughs> but Dylan, I'm honored. Well, I'm not sure it's particularly impressive for a TV man like yourself, Jamie. I'm sure you're all used to 3 a.m. makeup and whatever they do at Sky Sports. Well, more to the point, as a father of two young children, I'm not used to getting too, <laughs> too many hours sleep, so yeah. Well, Dylan, uh, I'm pleased to tell you that a lot has happened while you've been sleeping, and it's all been happening in front of Jamie. Um, but Jamie, if you can set the scene for us, like I think a lot of Americans don't really grasp how important this week is, um, both to the DP World Tour, but I would say like to men's pro golf at large. It's sandwiched in between these two live events. It has a lot of live 
uh, aftershocks taking place, I guess. So why, why is this an important week? Well, if we strip away all the live stuff for a second, you know, this has always been the flagship event of the European tour, DP World Tour, call it what you want. Um, the, the European tour is based here. Their offices are literally, you know, 200 yards from the first tee at Wentworth. Um, it's got incredible history when you look at the names that have won the trophy, legends of European golf like Sally Ballesteros, Colin Montgomery, Nick Faldo. They've all been successful around here. So it's a tournament that any players growing up in the UK and Ireland have always been desperate to win. Um, and some modern greats, the likes of Rory, have been lucky enough to win around here. Um, so it's a massive event for the European Tour. It's, as I said, their flagship event. It may well become a co-sanctioned event uh, a couple of years down the line. We'll wait to see on that one. Um, it's also the week that Ryder Cup qualification is launching. So um, the points start here. It's all, all roads lead to Rome from here. So it's got that added spice this week. And yes, there also happens to be the fact that there are quite a few players in the field this week who many players aren't very happy to have in the field this week. So um, it, it, there's definitely a bit of tension in the air. Um, it's going to be an interesting week, no doubt. Jamie, sticking away from the live stuff, just for maybe one more question. What yeah. is Wentworth like as a venue uh, for someone that's never been there? What's what's kind of the feel of the course and the place? Um, to be honest with you, it's a course that a lot of players don't particularly love. Um, <laughs> as a fan, it's an absolute nightmare because it is a huge property. There are three golf courses here at Wentworth and the West course that they play the tournament on, it takes you all the way out to the, the furthest corner of the course and then all the way back. If you have to walk back from the ninth, it's an absolute nightmare. It's just this huge these huge gaudy palaces all about the place as well. I mean, there's some multi-multi-millionaires live within the Wentworth estate. Um, in terms of the course itself, I think, you know, you need to drive it well off the tee. The, the rough is looking pretty lush and thick this week. I think the course is going to be quite soft as well, so there might be a lot of, you know, target practice for these guys. So, you know, look at the likes of Shane Lowry, Rory McIlroy, Matt Fitzpatrick. These supreme ball strikers will do well around here. It's a second-shot golf course. All right, let's dive in. Let's the dive elephant in. in the room. That's what someone keeps saying in the uh, the pressers this week. We've only seen them, you know, on Golf Channel excerpts and and uh, social clips and transcripts. But the elephant in the room is the uh, the live elephant. What is going on this week? There's lots of chatter about, you know, the fact that there are now PGA Tour guys and. DP World Tour guys and live guys all in the same locker room, all in the same driving range, presumably all in the same pairings this week. Is this some overblown media controversy or is this a real thing? No, this is a real thing. And when you say the elephant in the room, to me, that implies that people don't want to talk about the elephant in the room, whereas these guys are more than happy to talk about it this week. Every player has been shooting straight from the hip and there's definitely palpable tension there. You know, I think you can't tar all the live players with one brush. I think there are different categories of live players. So the likes of, for example, Laurie Cantor, Richard Bland, Justin Harding, they're familiar faces on the European tour. They've been around here a long time. They're popular guys. They've played in events since the first live event at Centurion and been made to feel reasonably welcome at those events. So I don't think too many people have much of a beef with them being here. Then there's a second category of Ryder Cup stalwarts, legends, call them what you will, the Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, Sergio Garcia, Graham McDowell Brigade, who a lot of people do have an issue with them being here 
purely because they've been so confrontational on Twitter and have said some pretty unpleasant things about the European tour, about Keith Pelly. They've been very outspoken. They flew in en masse here at the players' meeting last night. It was Poulter and Garcia and Westwood who read out these prepared questions, which had obviously been given to them by Liv to ask, so that they would then immediately report straight back to Greg Norman. So a few people have an issue with them being here, but... A few people also think, well, look, these guys have done a lot of for European golf in the last couple of decades, so they deserve their place. The third category of player who nobody <laughs> wants here is the likes of Taylor Gooch, Abraham Answer. <laughs> I would have included Jason Kokrak and Kevin Nan, that, but they had, they had the decency to withdraw, mm. who every single player I've interviewed is just like, what on earth are you doing here? You've never once shown any support for the European Tour, and yet here you are now sponging off our world ranking points and denying places to players who, frankly, need to make their living on this tour, need to earn some money so they can pay their mortgages and put food on the table, whereas you guys are not going to have an issue with that because of the massive wad of dirty cash that you've been handed. So there's there's definitely a lot of animosity towards that third group. But there's just, and, and you know, players are... are Rather than playing everything with a straight bat and being coy and dancing about the question, they are telling you this week, no, I don't think they should be here. And I'm not happy with them being here. You'll have probably heard my interviews with John Ram and Billy Horschel from yesterday. Mm-hmm. I've just spoken to Shane Lowry and Rory McIlroy this afternoon. And, and they're equally, you know, straight up front about it. They shouldn't be here. I think that's so amazing. Taylor Gooch's ability to become the, uh, <laughs> you know, everyone is sort of willing to dance around the issue with, uh, you know, a lot of the fringe players, you know, oh, well, the the Euro guys are at the end of the career. I totally get it. They've supported it. You know, oh, Harold Varner, at least he's saying he's taking the money. All these excuses that people make for other players. Taylor Gooch seems squarely in the Venn diagram of of uh, no excuses worthy. So this well, is another, uh, another tough week for him. I've literally just bumped into Billy Horschel um, as he finished up his morning pro-am. And I said, oh, what about Taylor Gooch? coming for you overnight on Twitter. And he's like, huh? I said, oh, you're not seeing Taylor's? No. And I said, I did get my phone out and show Billy Horschel what Taylor Gooch had said about him. And Billy just sort of basically rolled his eyes and said, I've got nothing to say about that. So that kind of told me everything I needed to know. It's, it's truly the most entertaining timeline for journalists like ourselves, because this is the... You know, the golf world is the gentleman's tour. Like these guys always agree on yeah. everything. They generally vote in the same uh, line, uh, party line in America, at least. <laughs> and suddenly they, they suddenly they're actually speaking out against each other, uh, which is good fodder for us. Where does Patrick Reed sit on that tri-level grouping that you kind of just laid out? For I think us? probably somewhere between groups two and three, because he actually has shown support <laughs> to the European tour in the past. Um, but he's just deeply unpopular. He's just not a very well-liked person. So, I mean, even when he did come over here before all the live stuff began, people probably weren't entirely glad to see him here. But at the same time, you know, he, he is somebody that has shown willingness to hop on a flight and come over and support the European tour in the past. So when I was speaking to John Ram yesterday, he sort of said, you know, even Patrick Reed, fine, you know, he's here, whatever. So I think he's in almost a separate category of his own. I mean, the one thing I didn't pull John Ram up on yesterday was when he was talking about the fact that he doesn't have an issue with the likes of Westwood, Poulter, Garcia being here. He said, because they've supported this event so much in the past. I didn't want to pull him up the fact that Sergio Garcia has played this event once in 20 years. So Sergio Mm -hmm. Garcia has shown zero interest in supporting the flagship event of the European Tour. 
sure, he supported a lot of events that take place in Spain and Valderrama. He's there every year, but you know, he's not shown to create a lot of a lot of interest in this particular event. And you know, they're basically here for world ranking points. Let's 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 call it what it is. And I've just interviewed Shane Laurie. Shane Laurie said, "Yep, they're here for world ranking points, but let's be clear." They're also here to just disrupt and just cause mayhem and just be a nuisance. And that's why I have an issue with it, is what Shane said. Just to, to play devil's advocate here, Jamie, because I've seen people raise this question and it may seem like an obvious answer, but why does Billy Horschel get to comment on this? And then <laughs> to a lesser extent, why does John Rahm get to comment on this? So uh, yeah, I defended Billy last night um, in the face of, the, of many tweets saying, you know, in the last 12 months, he's played six times on the European Tour, DP World Tour, call it whatever you want. So he has shown in the last 12 months a willingness to hop on a flight from Florida and come over here. He is not holding himself up at all as the voice and the moral conscience of the European Tour. Let's be clear. He said in his interview to me yesterday that he has made an effort this week to, to sort of garner opinion, to go around and speak to regular DP World Tour members to see what they think before he then to inform his own opinion. Um, so he wasn't for once, he, he wasn't sort of standing on the soapbox and saying, well, all listen to me because I, I, you know, I know exactly what all the European tour players are thinking. He has actually made an effort to see what the general sentiment is out here. Um, and John Ram, you know, again, a lot of people will say, well, you know, he, he's based in the States. He plays most of his golf in the PGA tour, but he's always made an effort to come over here and certainly support events like the, the Spanish Open, which have a, a tiny, tiny purse. But he's made an effort because, you know, it, it means something to him. And, you know, this might sound corny or cheesy or whatever, but I think John Ram is somebody who's motivated a lot by history. And he realizes that the paths that the likes of Severiano Ballesteros and Jose Maria Lathabal have laid are, you know, he's the next superstar of Spanish golf. And he, and he wants to honor those traditions and that prestige and history in, in the game. I think that's all pretty accurate. I think people have been really, yeah, people have been really taken by Rom's comments in particular because I think he, there's a sense that he's not interested in walking the party line. You know, he's not a, a loyalist to Rory or to Tiger. Um, he's, he's kind of an independent voice. He plays practices with Phil Mickelson at home. Uh, you know, they share agents and I'm, I'm sure talk about this stuff all the time. So when he then speaks out and he was asked yesterday, I think, you know, has any of this made you reconsider? And, you know, there's always rumors about, oh, big offers going to John Rom. He said, no, never. So I thought that that was a telling thing. And, and Rom's status, I guess, on the world stage continues to rise in a lot of people's eyes. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who people say he's, he's so erudite and eloquent in his second language. He's actually from the Basque country. So it's his third language, English, and he's so eloquent and erudite and always, always interesting to hear his point of view. And I agree with you, Dylan, that he he's not, it's very them and us at the moment, and he's neither them or us. He's kind of somewhere in the middle that he can, he has the ability to see both sides of the debate, but he's definitely in the PGA tour camp. Um, and you know, he's, he, he's, He's not going to stop being very close friends with Sergio, um, but he just doesn't agree with the way that the path that he's gone down with his career. But uh, he was fantastic yesterday, and it just seems that anytime you interview John Ram now, he always has something interesting to say. Yeah, I was thinking about that as I was watching the clips. And, you know, this whole summer I've kind of thought, you know, Billy Horschel is... He's pretty smart with how he's talking about this, but he's not like at the level of Rory, level of smartness and how he's actually treating this debate. John Rahm is up there. 
I would say Justin Thomas fills in somewhere. Um, you've talked to a ton of these players. Who do you think is actually not getting the credit for maybe what they deserve and how they have talked about it and maybe approached it? Oh, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I certainly think they might not get the same column inches that the likes of Rory do, but I think those other big European players that I've spoken to this week, Matt Fitzpatrick, Shane Laurie, are certainly very well-versed in the topic as well. Um, they've chosen their side. And I was really surprised actually just interviewing Shane about an hour ago with how impassioned he was on the topic. I expected him to be a, a little bit more sitting on the fence, a little bit more coy. And I said, you know, what do you feel about them being here? And he went, right. And I just, as soon as he said it right and took a deep <laughs> breath, I was like, this answer is going to be good. <laughs> and he sort of, you know, he just went off one saying, look, I can understand why some of them are here, but I can't stand certain others being here. Um, I asked him about, you know, them being part of the Ryder Cup team. He says, I don't see any way they can be in the Ryder Cup team. Their best golf's behind them and they're not going to qualify for the team. Mm. They're probably not going to get any picks either. You know, it'd be very surprising if they did. I mean, we all know they're not. Um, so I, I think Shane is another one who, you know, he's very close with Rory. So it's it's not really exactly a surprise that he, he thinks the same way as him. But we're seeing a lot of people's true colours at the moment, right? And all three of us as people who have followed golf have probably known for a long time who the intelligent, well-spoken, the guys who take an interest in sort of not just golf, but, you know, the wider global politics. We've all known who those guys are. And we've all known who the guys are who everyone says, oh, he seems like such a nice bloke. Is he a nice guy? And we've all known, no, he's actually two-faced and... Um, <laughs> You know, not what you see is not what you get. And I think during this whole saga, we're seeing a lot of people's true colors and we're seeing a lot of masks slipping. And if anything good is coming out of it, then that's maybe one small thing. What happened at the players meeting last night, Jamie? What was the intention of it? What was the reality of it from what you've been able to gather? Yeah, so the players meeting last night, you know, we were predicting that sparks were going to fly and people were going to come to blows and there's going to be have to be people separating people and, and punch ups. It was it all passed very uneventfully. Um, I know the likes of Rory and Shane and, and Fitz, they just skipped it all together. They didn't really see the point going once they heard that so many of the live guys were going to be there. This sort of live block were all going to be there trying to disrupt it. Um, but I've spoken to a few guys who were there and they said, you know, it was half an hour long. Keith Kelly spoke for about 20 minutes and just laid out, you know, the future of the DP world tour and blah, blah, blah. And then he took questions on the floor. Two of those questions were from Ian Poulter. And um, one was about the, and he, which he just read out from a sheet of paper that had obviously been given to him by Liv. Um, and one was about the ongoing DOJ investigation into the PGA tour to which Keith Pelly said, I mean, it's an ongoing legal proceeding. What on earth do you expect me to say about that? His next question was about, you know, the strength of the European tour, whether it was sort of being sold on the river by the PGA tour. And Keith Pelley said, look, you're, you're going to have to see what pans out in the future, but I'm very confident that they're now pumping more money into the European tour than they ever have in the past. And, you know, the DP world tour is looking stronger than ever. And then he was asked a question by Sergio Garcia about, you know, qualifying for the Ryder cup team. And, he said, look, you can earn points as of this week, but what happens going forward, I don't know. Whereas I think we all know that the hierarchy of the DP World Tour don't want those guys anywhere near this Ryder Cup team or Ryder Cup teams in years to come. So um, it was fairly uneventful. At one point, he he praised Louis Oosthuizen for the classy way that he's handled 
resigning from the DP World Tour. He said Louis called him up and explained his side of the story and was very sort of magnanimous and gracious in the way he did it. And Keith almost sort of mentioned this as a, a point of saying there are others in this room who haven't been so magnanimous and gracious. So that was one thing that happened. Um, I heard rumours that Lee Westwood stood up and said something about accused Keith Pelly of turning the DP World Tour into the fifth best tour in the world. And Keith was armed with all the numbers to point out why that was an absolutely nonsense thing to say. Even if you go solely on the money involved, it's the third biggest tour in the world, if we're calling it the tour. And if we're going on the prestige and the overall history of the game, then it's definitely the second biggest tour in the world. So, um, yeah, it, it wasn't quite the fireworks that many might have predicted, but I think for a lot of the DP World Tour regulars, it was it was still worthwhile. The list of press conferences continued this morning, and Keith Pelley was one of them. And from what I read, he went for 45 minutes. And to me, that feels like a long time. I want to know if it felt long and if it felt necessary that Keith Pelley kind of take a stand. It didn't feel particularly long. I mean, there were were a lot of questions on the floor. I thought he I was really super impressed with Keith this morning, I have to say. Um, I thought he answered all the questions really well. He was passionate, but not quite as... At times in the past, we've seen Jay Monahan almost taking taking it really personally. I don't think Keith yeah. was was uh, was as bad as that, but he certainly left you no doubt as to how he feels about it. And without naming names, he sort of implied that a lot of these stalwarts of the European tour, the Garcias, Westwoods, Polders of the world, have hurt the tour and hurt him with what they've had to say and and didn't need to be so public with their you know criticisms of the tour and of him um so i think he's been very statesmanlike throughout it all um i was really impressed with how eloquent he was this morning um i did an interview with him afterwards where he wasn't quite as sort of wasn't quite as as um eloquent as he'd been in in the press conference room but uh <laughs> you know i i think he uh, he's facing a lot of accusations at the moment of selling the DP World Tour down the river and of, of being too beholden to Jay Monahan and too beholden to the PGA Tour. Whereas I actually think when people see how the 2024 schedule in particular plays out, I think you'll realize the, the fruits of the strategic alliance will start to bear at that stage. One other meeting that has been referenced this week, I guess meeting might be too strong a term, but uh, Billy Horschel brought up again this Sergio Garcia locker room tirade that happened uh, a little yeah. while back. I wonder if there's anything that you can tell us, Jamie, or if or if all the whispers you've heard have been purely off the record, or if you've been able to piece together what happened with Sergio Garcia and a bunch of other pros. Yeah, so this this dates back to um, the BMW International in Munich. Is that what it's called? I think that's what it's called. Um, yep. uh, which was, I suppose... It's late June, so it was it was a couple of weeks after Centurion, the week before their Portland event, right? And there were a few of the live guys there. And I don't know how much I'm allowed to swear in this podcast, but you can always bleep it. You can always um, bleep it. He, he basically <laughs> said to Bob McIntyre in particular, but there were a lot of players gathered in the locker room, as I understand it, was saying, your tour's f***ed, you guys are all f***ed. The DP World Tour is, is in the mud, basically. And, uh, you know... I can't wait to see what happens when the tour comes crumbling around and I'm at the tour, blah, blah, blah. So I think it was basically along those lines. And at that point, a lot of people sort of, a lot of people who hadn't already made up their mind on Sergio, I think made up their mind about him that day. 
fascinating. Um, and has that sentiment continued? Yeah, I think I just, I, you know, a lot of people just feel really if we're talking about him in particular, I think a lot of people on this tour feel disappointed in him in particular. There's a lot of players here that who, who I would consider, who I'd be pally with, who would have seen Sergio Garcia as their their hero. Like, in almost mm. on this side of the pond, almost in the same breath as Tiger Woods. Like, you know, he burst on the scene in, in 1999 as this, you know, with this youthful exuberance, this such exciting prospect. And, you know, a lot of people over here massively looked up to him. And a lot of people... You know, in the face of people saying that Sergio Garcia was a bit of a dick, a lot of people defended him and said, no, 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 he's not. He's just misunderstood. Whereas I think a lot of people are not like, yeah, no, he is just a bit of a dick. Um, so I think a lot of people feel, a, a, you know, a bit disappointed from that point of view. Um, but look, 11 months ago, 11 and a half months ago, I was at Whistling Straits, you know, cheering so much for Sergio Garcia. And, totally. you know, he, was, he is a Ryder Cup player. He's the greatest Ryder Cup player of all time from either side of the Atlantic. Um, and I just think it's it's massively sad what's happened. Not just him, but Poulter, Westwood, McDowell, Keimer to a lesser extent. The backbone of all these incredible European teams, which had such success together for a decade, have not just thrown all that legacy away and just tarnished their images so much. I, I just keep arriving back at the word sad. I just think it's really sad. Dylan, did you capture there how Jamie said uh, Graham McDowell's last name? Say it again, Jamie. McDowell. Okay. I mean, Hell that's yeah. a very Northern Irish way of saying it. No, I mean, that Graham know, McDowell, he favorite. just changed when he moved to Florida, Jamie. That's what that's what we kept hearing when I was at uh, Portrush in 2019. Yeah. He got he's, new teeth and he changed his accent and he changed his name. He's definitely not as as adored in Northern Ireland as the, the, the other great Northern Irish golfer is. And I don't mean Darren Clark. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not clear to me that anyone is fully adored in Northern Ireland. That seems to be part of the charm. I think Rory probably is. I don't think Rory can do anything wrong there. But um, but yeah, no, GMAC, GMAC went down the David Fierty route of losing his accent and getting that transatlantic twang. And um, the, the only surprise that GMAC is that he hasn't, like Fierty, decided to get a US passport just yet. But, you know, I'm sure Greg could swing that one for him. What's your vision, Jamie, for the DP world tour going forward. I mean, there, there's been plenty of, uh, kind of toxic chatter about it from, from the likes of Lee Westwood, but there is a point to be made there that the strategic Alliance has so far worked out better for the PGA tour than it has for the DP. Do you, is there a world where you see that changing going forward? Is there a, a clear path? Yeah, I think there is. And from speaking to people around Wentworth this week, I think I much have a much clearer picture of what that's going to be now. Look, for a long time, I mean, for decades, the best players have gone and played in the States. This isn't anything new, that the best European tour players are trying to get over and eventually play PGA Tour Golf. So let's just get that clear for once. Uh, the term feeder tour to describe the DP World Tour has been used, which I think is incredibly root and inaccurate because it's not a feeder tour the purpose of a feeder tour is solely to get you to another tour whereas a lot of players are incredibly happy applying their trade in this tour but it's i, I certainly when when rory and tiger when the details of that meeting when solly and the boys laid out the details of that meeting in delaware i i thought hang on a second what on earth does this mean for the dp world tour if these guys are going to play 12 elevated events plus the players plus three events outside of that and four majors, 20 events. Well, when on earth are they going to play over here? 
John Ram was kind of ambushed with that question at Eastlake. I don't think the question was phrased particularly well, but you could see the surprise at him saying, huh, what? I'm going to play 20 events? Uh, uh, when on earth am I going to play in Europe? Whereas actually, I think we're going to see going forward much more of a sort of aligned strategy between, between the two tours. I think next year, 2023, is going to look pretty similar to this year in terms of between January and August, the players are going to be pretty much solely playing on the PGA Tour, perhaps with the exception of the Scottish Open, obviously, and that the DP World Tour are going to sort of backload their schedule and play a lot of their bigger events in the fall. So you'll see Wentworth in the same spot. You'll see the Irish Open maybe move to September next year so that more guys can be involved in that. And then I think come 2024, we're going to see a far more, like almost a step towards a World Tour where there's going to be 15 elevated events, and I think a few of them, hopefully three or four at least, maybe more, are going to be on this side of the Atlantic as well. And that, and that you know, fills the void. The, the PGA Tour, by their own admission, will admit that they haven't been great at becoming a global tour either. So I think the DP World Tour can help the PGA Tour become more global, and the PGA Tour can help the DP World Tour financially because they're investing a massive sum of, sum of money into the DP World Tour. So I think by 2024, we'll get a much clearer picture of what it's going to be. But certainly any European golf fans who are anxious about Rory McIlroy, Victor Hovland, John Ram, Shane Laurie, Matt Fitzpatrick, no longer playing any golf in Europe at all. Get that idea out of your head because they're still going to be going, coming back here and they're still fully committed to this tour. It seemed like one easy fix to what Ram was was uh, referencing there in the meantime would be that those three extra events that PGA Tour right. players are required to play, that those could be fulfilled by playing three DP World Tour events. And I don't know if they've made that fix, but that just seems like such a logical... Uh, way to plug that gap yeah totally and that's something i've mentioned to a few players off camera as well this week where i've said you know if jay could just say okay look rory those three events outside of the elevator events go and play abu dhabi irish open wentworth john ram go and play wentworth open day Spania, dubai whatever um and all of them seem pretty happy with that potential solution you know obviously jay doesn't want to lose his best players for those three events either and the, the way you keep tournaments like Honda or the John Deere suite is by saying, look, once every three years, you're going to have Rory McIlroy in the field. Once every three years, you're going to have John Ram in your field. But I think there is, you know, there is a way. Now, there seems to at least be a sort of clear strategy heading forward now that all these guys are aligned and agreed on. And that we certainly weren't there two or three months ago. There seemed to be a lot of confusion and uh, it was all very muddled, the thinking, whereas now everybody at least seems to have a, a goal in mind. This makes me happy because if you look at this week on Twitter, you just see a lot of talk. You see a lot of players saying things about other players and those players responding. And it doesn't feel like we're advancing the storyline. And I feel like all too many of our pro golf weeks lately have been just talk a lot of talk and yeah. uh so that makes me happy um we haven't talked about rory mcelroy yet and uh i'm actually impressed by that that we have talked about this topic without mentioning rory um but he was probably the last player to do a presser today over there in wentworth did he advance the storyline did he really say anything i wasn't in the press conference the only line i've seen from i can see rex hoggard over there who, who has the seat next to me in the press conference room and rex put out a tweet which you may well have seen where rory was asked how will you feel if come sunday you're going toe-to-toe -to -toe against a live golfer 
And Rory said, well, they'll probably be a bit tired by then because it is the fourth day, which is just a class, you know, what a great one line zinger, um, which Rory's doing a lot of at the moment. So I wasn't in the press conference room, but I did interview him one to one afterwards. And that interview, by the time this podcast go out, you'll have probably heard that interview. And he was just, you know, classic Rory shooting straight from the hip. They shouldn't be here. They're stealing spots from players who are trying to earn a living. It's not right that they're here. Um, in, in terms of the Ryder Cup, um, their best days are all behind them. I don't see any way they're going to be on the team. And then I asked him about what we've just spoken about, the future of the DP World Tour, whether they're kind of getting a raw deal from the strategic alliance at the moment. And Rory said everything. I basically just said to you guys that, okay, 2023 is going to look pretty similar, but come 2024, you're going to get a much clearer picture of the fact that these two tours are aligned and there is a lot of joined up thinking. Do we think Rory writes his own jokes? <sighs> Good question. I honestly think they just sort of, I honestly think that he's a smart guy and, you know, all of us Irishmen are, are, you know, we've got the gift of the gab and we're very, very funny, obviously. So um, he just, I think sometimes they just come to me in these little moments of inspiration, but he delivers them well. Jamie, what is the case for the, the DP world tour in general? What's so special about what has been the European tour for decades um, for American fans that have only seen snippets of it? Yeah. You know, I, I, I listened to, a lot of us golf podcasts and i think the european tour the euro tour as you guys call it um <laughs> sometimes gets a bit of a raw deal um what i love about watching the european tour i'm going to keep calling it the european tour dp world tour is just too wordy what i love about the european tour is the courses are interesting it takes you to different parts of the world if i if I was a professional golfer, I would enjoy playing in this tour. I would enjoy heading around the globe, seeing different cities, experiencing different cultures, playing amazing golf courses, getting to walk in the same footsteps that the greats on this side of the Atlantic did, the likes of Seve, Ollie, Faldo, Woozy, Lyle, Monty, all those greats. I think also just being around a European tour event there's much more of a sort of cozy, welcoming vibe to it. The players are extremely close. You know, this is why we did so well in Ryder Cups for a long time, right? That was always the thing that we had that incredible team spirit kind of just boiled into the team, whereas the U.S. always struggled with that. Unfortunately, I think the U.S. have now found the secret of team spirit, which is not good news for Europeans. But there is just, there's a, a friendly atmosphere around the European Tour. You cover any event, people get on, people socialize together, people go out for dinner together. Um, this is the first European tour event I've been at for a while where there is a bit of animosity and um, angst in the air. But generally speaking, it's a really happy place to be. And the courses you get to see are different. It's not just target golf, you know, bomb and gouge golf that we see in the PGA Tour a lot. You see a, a lot of different courses out here and, uh, uh, and courses posing a lot of different challenges to the players. I think you maybe have to be a more of a rounded golfer to play in the DP World Tour. You might have to be more of a rounded golfer to appreciate it too. Folks, just got to get up a little bit earlier in the States. It's coffee golf. You know, I, I, and one person I will I will mention here, even though I don't have an awful lot of time for him, you know, individually, I, and I think he... He's going to mention Brooks. made some decisions He's going to mention Brooks. Yeah, Brooks. I am going to mention Brooks because he did take the path less trodden and he decided to come over here and cut his teeth in the Challenge Tour and then the European Tour when that was a bit of an unfashionable thing to do. And it would have been so easy to play Corn Ferry or what was it, web.com back then, and then just, you know, do the traditional path into the PGA Tour. But Brooks has always said, you know, experiencing 
these incredible European cities, flying from Rome to Istanbul to Madrid, you know, helped shape the person I became. And, you know, I've walked, I've walked quite a lot of holes with Bob Kepka in the past, dad to Brooks and Chase. He's a lovely fella. And he's so proud of the fact that his boys wanted to sort of, you know, in, culturally experience more of the world. I think it's a fantastic thing to do. I, I'd love to see more American golfers do that. And I'd certainly love to see more American golf fans watch DP World Tour because, you know, the names might not be as big, but you're going to see a lot of great golf courses and some proper competition. Jamie, we've already kept you now longer than promised, but I am curious about recruitment and if if you've seen or heard much evidence of that, because we know the you know the captains of these franchises are now incentivized to to get other guys on board, and you know I think part of the reason that guys are talking such a big game about how great it is, not saying they don't believe it, but they are also financially incentivized to now yeah. get other guys to come join, live. Do you think that they have found receptive audiences um, or have the the sides somewhat solidified now that we're reaching a cap of 48 live players anyway? Yeah, I, I find it very difficult to know what the next wave of players is going to be. Um, you know, for months it's been like, oh, you know, Chinese whispers. I've heard about such and such. Have you heard about such and such? Yeah, I have. What about him? And, you know, we all knew before the Tour Championship, the six guys that were going to jump. And I think we can safely assume there's going to probably be one fairly high profile player who jumps after the President's Cup as well. But beyond that, I find it very difficult to envisage what the next step is for Liv now. They're not going to get any of the golden geese of the PGA Tour. They're not going to get Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, John Ram, Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth. They're not going to get those guys. They're PGA Tour loyalists. So where do they go from here? It might be that they've now the PJ Tour have weathered, you know, the, the storm, they, or certainly weathered the most serious of the storms. And the novelty of Liv's going to wear off. You know, I, I think people are maybe tuning into it out of sort of morbid curiosity at the moment, but that novelty is going to wear off very soon as well. So, look, <laughs> I'm not even going to try to second guess what the future holds in men's professional golf because none of us know, and it, this year has been mad to say the very least. But I think as we see going forward, they've, you know, start to form more of a, a normal tour, 14 events, whenever they are. Um, I think the people's enjoyment of it will start to wane. I think the ecosystem will start to sort of level itself out again. The bitching and the mudslinging from both sides will probably die down a bit as well. And it's just like, right, you guys get on with your tour and we'll get on with our tour and we can all just happily coexist together. But just don't feel as if you're welcome in our tour because you're not. Dylan, I think we need to let the man go. But first, I have two questions. Is Chelsea's loss always Tottenham's gain? <laughs> Chelsea sacking a manager usually means that he's going to be Spurs manager within the next three <laughs> years. So uh, when Antonio Conte moves on from Tottenham after we win the quadruple this season, uh, maybe Thomas Tuchel is the next man in the door at White Hart Lane. I don't know. Um, I'm not remotely surprised. I'm probably losing a lot of your audience here because I'm sure they're not football as we call it fans um but yeah it, i've interviewed thomas tuchel a few times this season and he has cast an increasingly fed up figure so i was not l- remotely surprised that he got the sack today oh. they lost last night to dinamo zagreb in the champions league and he was asked after the game what's wrong at chelsea at the moment and his answer was everything <laughs> and when a manager says that you know that the writing is usually on the wall so yeah thomas tuchel's gone um i mean everton have a track record for picking up chelsea dregs as well so Maybe he'll be Everton boss within a year. We are Sean happy knows. with Frank right now. Uh, my friend Dylan. Oh, he's doing a great job. Where are you? 17th in the league? 
yeah, 16th or 17th. Um, Thanks, what, what a job Frank's doing. <laughs> my co-host, Dylan, has like decided to maybe dip his toe in the water here and there with football. You know, there's American oh, yeah. football and then there's football. Uh, what would your advice be for Dylan in terms of choosing a Premier League team? Well, with Tottenham, you've got a team based in London. So we're based in the capital city. We've got the finest stadium probably in the world, to be quite honest. Um, we've got a young, exciting squad. We've got a world-class manager. We've got the England captain, Harry Kane, who's the most likable, down-to-earth, hardworking professional you could ever wish to meet. I mean, the, everything's looking up. The future's bright at Spurs. And we've got Richarlison now as well. Sean, as you will say, is just the biggest house in world football and just is able to wind up the opposition and get under everyone's skin and everybody needs one of those in their team. I think while Sean and I were discussing um, who my team should be and we were sitting actually in St. Andrews on the Monday after the Open uh, having a pint outside. What's the name of that pub, Sean? The Dunvegan. Dunvegan. Mm, no, it was a different one. <laughs> anyway, we'd moved on from the Dunvegan at that the point. One under there bar. Was, uh, the one under bar. No, not that one either. We'd moved on from that <laughs> one too. Central, Central oh, Bar. The Central. We were, yeah. we were having a nightcap at the Central Bar, and uh, there was a, a guy who had a few more nightcaps than us, and he was uh, singing a, a Celtic song just over and over and over again. So I figured that maybe that was a sign that Maybe I'm a big Boston Celtics All right, yeah. fan anyway, so, so there could be there. kind of a natural alliance there. Yeah, there's crossover there. Um, funnily enough, yeah, um, Sean and I had a good night in the Central Bar. I haven't actually told Sean this yet, but I got a message so randomly about a month ago from Guinness on Instagram, a, a DM <laughs> from Guinness. And they, they, they'd been, I don't know how, I don't know how they monitor all this stuff, but they'd find a photo of me and Sean drinking pints of Guinness in the Central Bar. And they said, do you mind if we use this? <laughs> Basically, it's like a promo. And I was like, no, no, pro- no issues with that at all. They said, we just need to establish that you're over 25. I was like, look at me. <laughs> I mean, how tough a paper round would it have been if I'm under 25? They're like, what about the other fellow with you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's over 25 as well. So you've got my full permission to use that on all your Guinness promotional material. But we're not even getting anything. I asked if we could get like a lifetime supply of Guinness out of it or something, but apparently not. Maybe a, a future Drop Zone podcast sponsor. There you go. In the works. All right. Final there question. There's worse sponsors to have. Final question. What's the score of the Packers Vikings game this weekend? It's always a tight one against the, the Vikings. But, um, you know, I'm confident with. Um, we did some good business in the draft. All the signs are pretty good that Christian Watson, Romeo Dubs have hit the ground running. Got the two boys, the, the two Georgia Bulldogs as well, Devontae Wyatt, Quay Walker as well. He knows his seem, stuff. Seamlessly come in. I think our, our, our defense is going to be much stronger than that's what, what led us down last year, right? Towards the end. And I think that's going to be much more solid this year. So I think we'll limit sides to not scoring too many points. And then it's just once number 12 gets an affinity <laughs> with his new wide receivers um then then it's all going to be rosy and we're going to do that we're going to have another 14 and 3 season and then lose in the first round of the playoffs again you know so are you all good with Devonte, jamie or is everything good between the two of you Devonte yeah, adams after he left for oakland it's fine you know it's fine he's gone to another um hall of famer and Derek carr hasn't he so <laughs> Dylan, he didn't leave for Oakland. He left for Las Vegas, but we won't hold you 
to uh, remembering all the... Close enough. Uh, Jamie, thank you for your time. I think that was at least twice what I asked you for, but you're you're too fun to talk to. So thanks for talking with us. Thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure.